0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is David McGuire. And I am Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. We're sorry to interrupt your podcast this evening, but we've come to you with a very important message. Are you tired of hearing the squeaking of our chairs? Are you tired of hearing a distant echo in the background? Are you tired of hearing my lips smack the moment before I talk?
1: I know I am, but you know how we can fix that? We need help from you. You see, Rome was not built in a day. It was built over many months, and also with lots of money. And lots of marble. We don't actually need the marble. No, we
0: don't need it. It'd be nice, but...
1: Okay, let's just stick to things that we actually need. Okay, sorry. Okay, Uh, thank you. Anyways, if you feel like you want to help us with our squeaking chairs or massive echo and Brian's incessant lip-smacking, please go to www.nerdonomy.com. Click on Donate, where your money will go to helping our Nerd Cave thrive
0: and helping Brian get over his speech impediment. And to go to our need for lots and lots of Hot Pockets. We must have the Hot Pockets.
1: You're listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry.
2: First of all, I want to give a big, gigantic, congratulatory shout-out. To Girls with Issues podcast hosts Vicki O and Billy Bones because those two lovely ladies are now currently engaged to each yeah. other and I'm extremely excited about it. Woo-hoo. I'm totally going to that wedding. <laughs> and yeah, they just announced it on their podcast, but I got the I got the phone call like right after it happened because I'm super oh, special. Sweet. Like you that. get to go to
1: New York? Yeah, probably. Unless I wanna go to
0: New York. It's probably go gonna to be in too. New York.
2: That's awesome.
0: They are amazing people. They really are. Uh, They have an awesome podcast that uh, if you haven't checked it out, they are fantastic. They go into really good detail with comic books in general. So
2: mm-hmm. yes, they do. And they basically keep you all abreast of all the comic entertainment news of everything for T V and movies too. So mm-hmm. definitely check that out and uh hit them up on Twitter at GWI Podcasts and give them your congratulations. Yeah. I'm very, very happy
3: for that. Congrats, Billy. Yay. Yay. <laughs> That's awesome. All right.
2: And now on to business.
3: Yes. So the question for tonight is what is your experience working on an independent film? Do you have any funny stories or anecdotes or experiences in well, your history?
0: Funny story about that. Yes, Brian. Actually. <laughs> this was kind of started as just a, a odd experiment from filmmaking. This whole thing, this whole Nerdonomy business was because of that. I mean, I had wanted to be a filmmaker since I was about 18. Or so. Cool. Uh, directing, I knew I always wanted to do, but I wasn't sure if it was just going to be theater or or film. Sean, I know <laughs> yes. you wanted to be a filmmaker from a very early age. We 13, we, 13 When we started yep. screwing around with dad's camcorder, it's really... and yes, that sounds as dirty as it sounds. screw screwing
3: around, huh? <laughs> um,
0: and Dave, Dave's a a filmmaker too. So we, we've all we've all worked on film projects together. None of them ever got finished, but uh, <laughs> yes, they did. Well, to two to degrees, to different
1: Mugger very... Clowns
2: did. Yeah, I remember Mugger Clowns. And that found new great. life
1: in a French cut I did. I created. Lo- the
2: French cut is actually better than the original cut. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it actually does so give the film a lot damn more. Damn funny. More I was just bored one day and
1: I took. I didn't even have the original footage. I took like just the version of the movie <laughs> and did all that in Final Cut in like six straight hours when I was all messed up on Lord knows what. That I woke like up.
0: Basically, when Sean and I were still living together. I woke up one morning and found him at work, and he'd been up since probably since like 4. Uh, he was just going to town, and ultimately, he was right. I mean, it ultimately was a better version of the film. If you mean up since 4 p.m. the day before, yes, that's true.
3: Aw. Yikes.
1: Uh,
0: Is this yeah. the one
3: with Nap? The one where? Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yes, who's oh been on the podcast. In fact, we probably should put this under autonomy should We I have mean? a copy of it somewhere. We need to post this film for people to see.
3: It
1: was odd. on the old website when we had the video section. That was kind of a test. Yeah, we can to s- see if people can would be
0: interested in videos. Well, it's on YouTube. We can we can embed yeah. the YouTube video for it.
3: Is all of your stuff on YouTube? Bro? Um,
0: some of my a couple of my earlier films are the one that I've been in post on for like three years now, which I do I will finish. I made a blood oath to David that I would nice. finish this movie. Uh, my first more serious film. Well, not more. It is a very serious film. That one will will hopefully be posted through us when it's okay. finished. So.
3: So then, is that the only... Do you
2: have any funny experiences from that or interesting experiences?
0: <laughs> Filmmaking is all about organization.
2: Yeah. The most naked I've ever been on camera was in one of Brian's movies. Oh, That's snap. <laughs> really? That yeah. is true. The Room I, for Rent movie, yeah. Yeah, okay. I would, yeah, I was wearing, like... We're talking full TNA action here, No, Sarah? no, 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 otherwise no. otherwise I'm not interested. No, I, wah, wah. Wah. I know. <laughs> I, have, I have some modesty stuff going on. Anyway, oh, no, um, I was wearing, like, I was wearing, like like, short little booty shorts and, like, this kind of nude strapless shirt, but I was holding a hat over it, so it looked like I was completely, like... So there was a side boob? They looked like I was completely bare-chested. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Room for Rent was a funny concept. It was about a couple who, um, they were just... Their roommate had suddenly moved out, and they were trying to interview complete strangers for this empty room, and we had some pretty crazy people, and then <laughs> the whole ending culminated in this one couple who seemed to be totally like the perfect couple which yeah. was
2: Dave and I. <laughs> uh,
0: no, Dave Dave and oh, Michael at right. the time Beth were, oh, were that's the ones right. who were yeah. the the couple you and uh, it was a it was a Pasha I think was his name. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're playing the other the other couple. Right. Okay, now And basically to make a long story short it was them having a very wildly experimental sex life oh my and then keeping the couple up. And we never saw anything but we just heard noises basically. <laughs> And then finally, when, when Dave demands that he opens the door, it is this, the most absurd-looking orgy uh, that is going on. Um, With
2: a lot of clown noses involved. <laughs> every,
0: every, everyone, I insisted that everyone was wearing clown noses. Everyone oh was wearing Because it was so God. absurd. What a reveal. I was yeah. wearing,
2: like, I had, like, the, the hat that I was using to cover my, my breasts was, like, this big yeah. American flag patriotic <laughs> top hat. <laughs> wow.
0: I have. A PS. I want you. <laughs> the thing is, the ending doesn't make sense... Unless you see the rest of the film. But technically we could probably cut the film together and release it from just the last five minutes. Because it really the this rule of three bit that we do with the, the noise and everything, mm-hmm, that yeah. could actually be the film.
2: Yeah. You
1: probably. know what's you know what we could also do is we could take all the films that we've done together and piece together like a smash cut hilarious, like best of a sure. thing thing, too.
2: Yeah.
3: That'd be cool. Yeah. So Sean, what about you? What's your
1: Oh god? Okay, so I was thinking about this, and I was like, should I talk about the movies Brian and I had made together? And I was like, there's some interesting stories from there. But what's really interesting is every movie I made between ages 19 and 20, Uh which is only a few. But at the time, I had been heavily influenced by really dark films like Requiem for a Dream and Pie and Fight Club and Memento, things like that. Okay. Yeah, just featuring tortured people. And I realized what a little emo bitch I was back then (laughs) because the first two really serious films I tried to make dealt with like suicide. (laughs) And I showed them to my parents and they were legitimately worried about me. And they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't really feel this way. It's just like how I'm expressing myself. You know,
0: this is this is the darkness and the pain.
1: This is my
3: cathartic outlet.
1: Oh yeah,
0: God. and you didn't tell, but Sean actually had grown, like, six-inch bangs at that point. Which was totally <gasps> funny no, that I shit. didn't. Wow. <laughs> you fuck. I
1: didn't look like Spider-Man 3. Oh, oh, no. That's
3: the movie that Sean not be named. We no. will not talk Sean, about it Sean that. Sean
0: was either. only emo. I'm, I'm kidding. Sean was only emo in spirit, not in actual physical form. <laughs> so. It's true.
1: But, yeah, if you go on YouTube... My channel is Big Sean Mo, just like my Twitter handle. And if you watch Followed or Final Thoughts, they are the most... De- I actually... One of the movies, a buddy of mine needed to do a project for his English class where he had to do something and some sort of artistic performance, whether it was like a skit that they perform live or if they wanted to make a film or a song or something like this. So he comes to me and he's like, can you just like make me a movie if we film it together and like edit it all together, which is the hardest and like longest part of it, right? so I had to slap this dude's name as the editor on it just so he could get credit for it and then he told me that everybody in his class thought he was either going to kill them or himself after watching it Oh my so god. at least I didn't have to deal with that <laughs> and that, yeah that one was Final Thoughts that was the one where we used the Lethal Enforcers video game gun that plugged into a Seneca Genesis and spray painted it black to look like a real gun oh my and the dude gosh. like blows his brains out all over his kitchen wall oh my right. god freaking yeah. nerds <laughs> Yeah, I was all about, I, the, my first two films, I hung myself in the first one with a phone cord. Because you had, mur- because you had one, murdered your friend. The second my friend blew his yeah. brains out. Yeah, oh yeah the whole movie's damn, about this Sean. guy
0: being haunted by the fact that he
2: murdered his friend. And
0: he can't Yeah, that he kill. drowned
1: his friend in the bathtub and he has dreams about it. It's actually a decent movie, I thought.
2: So, Sean, how was your childhood? Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was, this is the thing. My childhood was awesome. And I think that was the problem. Oh, <laughs> is you needed I didn't a little really bit more did really have torment. any true darkness or pain, so I forced it on myself. Oh my mm. gosh. And to
0: be fair, we didn't find any mutilated animals and Shum is not a bedwetter, so he's No. We we have no we have no one I'm not that interesting. We 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 have no one symptom of psychopathy other yeah. than what he developed as an adult. This is his, just a genuine
3: genuine curiosity into the darkness. Yep. <laughs> Whatever that And means.
1: now I realize there's a balance and I'm much more of a fan of creating things that are funny. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, than you know, things
1: that make you feel uncomfortable.
3: You know what they say though, the best dramatic actors are also hilarious, or is it vice versa? Like the best um, comedians are also great dramatic artists?
0: The best actors are the ones who are comedic actors because they can do both the serious and the funny, and probably the most, mm-hmm. the best dramatic actors are probably just flat out hilarious. I
3: mean, you think Robin Williams and Jim Carrey. Kevin Spacey.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, all but... people that
1: are comedians at heart are, are usually pretty tortured individuals. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. they
3: it's the whole the... type thing too. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's true. What about you, Roxy?
3: Um, I have very limited experience in independent filmmaking, but I have acted on some projects and I'd say probably one of the most ex- the weirdest experiences I've had was um at my alma mater acting on a film we spent a couple of days doing it and it was basically a short based in the editing room at the school and um the director of the short is named t his name's tj reed this really sweet guy like him and i hit it off right off the bat and he just wanted me to act and he wanted me you know to be kind of the pixie dream girl kind of character just mm-hmm. kind of like cute friend who comes in and her friend is like trying to edit a movie and he slowly goes insane though so the way that the movie was pitched <laughs> nice. to me you say it so yeah. casually, he right, goes the script was fairly straightforward like i go in and find him editing a film and i'm asking what's going on and he just like is totally warped and i, this, I forget this is a couple of years ago and it wasn't that memorable of a of a piece but Anyway, what ended up happening is the final cut, <laughs> he turned it into this, like, psycho thriller movie trailer. So what happened is, like, he added all these, like, new edits that we had not shot together. He, like, brought in a friend of his and basically, like, filmed it to make it look like a Japanese horror with, like, <laughs> yes. a, like oh my like, psycho ghost that's, like, haunting the halls of Hugh Gillis Hall. <laughs> Yikes. And I'm, like, barely in it, but the last moment of the film, everything goes pitch black, and all you hear is my voice just are you okay? And that's oh it. And that's like the end of it. And we're just like, uh, what the
1: fuck? Like, the everyone power did... of yeah. editing. Yikes. I swear
3: to God, this film, this short, was completely transformed because of the editing done on that piece. Like, I had no idea. It started from point A, and went to B and took a complete detour to get to point B. Wow. So I'd say that definitely was a revealing to me of the filmmaking process.
0: Definitely. I mean, we have seen your example with murder Clowns, right? (laughs) That just editing can literally change an entire movie.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: I don't think anybody, though, besides you, me, and Nap, have seen the version with, like, the whole other scene with the clowns getting you. Like, it was like they relive the same thing. The clowns just chase down you. Oh. And then we have the, I put the Kill Bill end credits music in of you just <laughs> right. walking into the sunset in your clown costume, right. just
0: accepting, wow. <laughs> the best part about that, though, in that entire original cut that was in color versus the black and white that you changed it to was yeah. just the the slow motion shot of this alley where Nap was being chased and all that you're seeing this run by shot of all the clowns. And yeah. we started playing like O Fortuna. <laughs> uh, that part was just amazing. Um, and then when, when finally, when Sean, the uh, the Bubba clown, as we called him, grabs onto him, then it kind of goes. Evil clown leader. That's when it goes into the whole crescendo of the. So, so <laughs>
1: It's funny. Every now and again, I have people go, I swear to God, I saw you as a clown on the internet. <laughs> because they'll find it because of my name. Nice.
0: Usually words you don't want to hear because, you know. He's like, yeah, "Yeah, I came in second in like a John Wayne Gacy contest. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, in my case, it's always like, was it the Craigslist ad or was it the video on YouTube? Wow. Was I shirtless or was I pantless? Oh, God.
2: (laughs) Jeez. Good
0: Lord. So, Sarah, what's your experience?
2: Um, Well, I think we kind of mentioned it several episodes ago back when Dave was still a regular host, but Dave and I actually worked on a movie called Brain Freeze. Yes, Um, I
0: remember it distinctly. It was
2: was his story, and um, I helped him kind of, shape it up and, and I auditioned for and that. they wrote that some fun. stuff yeah it was it was really fun Brian was in it um, I was in it producing it as well and like also writing and then Dave was directing um, and producing and it was a big fun family team effort but uh, I remember specifically while we were recording Um, We were doing all these monologues inside the bathroom of this diner that we were recording at. The
0: montages were amazing.
2: They were were really, really freaking funny. It was just kind of like these four main characters all having their own little moments kind of talking about their respective dates that they were on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're like, I'm talking about that my girlfriend has just got a new job, and that totally throws off the fact that I'm about to propose to her.
2: And then the girlfriend's having her internal monologue where she's like...
0: My favorite part was she was, oh, she was peeing. Oh, and, she was like fake. And she's peeing, trying yeah. to get it to flush she's it. it get... the, what is this made by NASA? <laughs> yeah, <she laughs> worked. Worked. <laughs>
2: um, and then my character was like talking about how she would totally in the guy that she was dating. Um, she had that like terrible lateral <laughs> list. Yes. Did she have a retainer? We actually, we actually she, did a whole viral re- campaign. We did, it, we did. She um, had a Facebook she page. Had, yeah, she had the retainer. But the joke was that when she took the retainer out, she still had the speech impediment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I was, like, talking about that. And then uh, the guy who I was on the date with, the guy Grady played him. He was like, she's kind of hot, but she's got this weird lisp thing yeah. happening. It was really funny. Anyway, so in the process of filming all of these things, and we were using the diner late, late, late at night. Yeah. Um, it was, like, wh- 10 to 3. It was-, was Jimmy's? It was Jimmy's. It was Jimmy, yeah. And it was still open. It was still open for business, right. but they were, like, letting us do it because it wasn't going to hinder anything. Yeah. It we were was pretty using, slow at that point. We were only using one side of the restaurant. Okay. Um, but we were in the bathroom, and something happened where somebody went to go, like, I think it was the cameraman had used his foot to put down the toilet seat. As it came down, the toilet seat broke in half <gasps> and was just floating in the toilet. Oh my God. <laughs> and we're like holy shit holy shit we broke the diner <laughs> Like they, they're letting us film here for free <laughs> we broke it
0: and that ladies and gentlemen is why you buy insurance yeah, yeah right. right well
2: we ended up just buying them a new toilet seat but it was like really? yeah yeah we we're just like hey sorry and they were just rolling their eyes at us we felt really really bad and it sucks because that movie is probably never going to see the light of day because I think Aww. most of the footage was missing. Really? Yeah. yeah, that's what
0: happened with Room for Rent too. Is one of the tapes got lost, so we can't. I can't finish editing it. I have a lot. Most of the footage imported to my computer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could cut something together, but it wouldn't necessarily make sense.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. This the is joys why we, of independent filmmaking. This is why we go yeah. digital and we always have backups. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes, indeed. And thankfully, that didn't happen on my last film because I had somebody who was importing the memory cards, uh, while we were shooting. So uh-huh. we always had extras going Perfect. around. Perfect. Nice. And um, though there was one time where we, we had used all of them, and we had to kind of wait for some to import. Um, but nevertheless, we had I had have all the clips in triplicate. So it's like worst case scenario. And I think I still have the original memory cards that they were recorded onto. Cool. <laughs> as well, with them not being touched. So my ass is covered.
3: <laughs> as it should be.
1: <laughs> and on that note, everybody, welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Sean Moriarty. I am
0: Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. And I'm Roxy Noberry. Roxy! Hi! Roxy! Hi!
2: Roxy. Hi, Sean. This is my
1: first episode with you because I couldn't make it last week. That's right! For technical reasons. Yeah, yeah.
2: well, and yeah. I, I wasn't there because I was in the happiest place on earth. Disneyland. Yes, you were. Yes, she was. When you
1: sent me that picture of the Iron Man armory, I showed it to everybody at work, and they all flipped out. They're like, that's in
2: Disneyland. Yeah, It was really, really, really. Where is it? In Innovations. Yes. Oh, seriously? Yeah. It's really, 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 really awesome. And there's a part where we didn't get to do it because the line was really long, but there was a a thing where you could... um, Go basically stand in place and And like and be in the Iron Man suit, like via video. So, Mm -hmm. like, it would actually like patch itself onto you and you could practice shooting, like, through the video. It was kind of cool. You can fly, you can shoot, yeah,
3: like throw stuff at stuff, and it's really cool. This
1: reminds me does anybody recall that recently President Obama said that they had made Iron Man for like 30 seconds and then said, nah, I'm just kidding? You said
0: said basically, we're we're working on Iron Man, we're working on Iron Man, Man and
1: I flipped out and then he was like nah I'm just playing.
3: I'm still <laughs> so chipped about the fact that Barack Obama went on between two ferns with Zach. Galifianakis. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> yes.
0: Why is it, why, why is that making that people so angry? I don't get it.
3: Because he basically oh, awesome. went on to promote um, the healthcare stuff. So it was healthcare.gov. It was all about you know presenting it to the younger generation because Zach Galifianakis knows what's up. And I mean the way that they did it was pretty clever. I will give them credibility on that point, but it was a cheap tactic, I would say overall. You know, it's just all about just,
1: healthcare.gov. Did, did Zach Galifianakis create a really uncomfortable situation while they were plugging healthcare.gov?
3: It was very awkward. Um, That's they all
0: about... I care about. That's what they do. Yeah. And, it's and the fact that the yeah. president kept a mostly straight face the entire video.
3: Oh no, the president. Yeah, gave gave Zach his uh, comeuppance. He was very. Uh, they were pissed at each do other. Do you know how good Barack Obama is at
1: keeping a straight face though? Oh my God, You're talking yeah. about a guy who has a picture on his phone probably of Putin. Riding a horse shirtless, but still <laughs> doesn't even crack a smile when he's talking to him in front of the
0: cameras.
3: Yeah. But no, we're not Let's here there to back. talk about that today. We're here to talk about independent cinema. So yes. that's important. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because we, we were t- having a little like powwow before we were recording. And you were talking about how it really, cinema started independent.
2: Mm hmm. You know? Well, Hollywood started independent. Hollywood started yeah. independent,
0: yeah.
3: It's been constantly cycling in and out of a battle of David and Goliath proportions. You know, you have an institution and you have people who either aren't allowed to be in the institution or don't qualify for or choose to not be a part of it and them going off and doing their own thing. Because of that. So as a reaction to the institution, they go off and create new things, but that new thing becomes an institution on its own. And then you have people reacting to that institution and that and that and that. And
2: it's just it's a oh constant gosh. ebb and flow of us versus them. Yeah. yeah. So they say that about
1: all art, though. I mean, mm-hmm. even in literature and in, you know, painting. Mm hmm similar cycles have happened with all, every form of art but it's just on a grander scale with movies.
2: Yeah. I think well it's that movies are more accessible to the general population I think. So But that's Yeah, and the amount of, of the people history, it takes right? to yeah. create
1: a film too, like how many people are
0: affected. Some people argue that film is the hardest art form because it's literally all the art forms combined. I would agree with that. I mean, you I have to that. deal with visual art, you have to deal with music, you have to deal with acting, you have to deal with photography um, mm-hmm. and it's
2: uh, oftentimes music and dance
0: sculpture with with production design music and dance exactly with musicals it's it is it's a, it's a mega art and that's why it's like 200 people to make a movie
3: Oh, yeah. Such a huge crew. So then we can talk about it in the perspective of a historical context as well as a intellectual thing. And I mean, going along with the theme of independent film, we've been going through Cinequest, you know, and Mm -hmm. we've been really exposed to a lot of good independent filmmaking lately. And I think it's really important to shed light on that process and what it takes to make a good independent film today in the modern age Mm -hmm. where you have... Um, independent film really taking on a life of its own and becoming the status quo you know the popular genre of film you go to an yeah. independent film because you want to experience like an art house type of thing or um, a genre type of film as far as like you look at Paul Thomas Anderson or you look at Wes Anderson those types of films have a style of all of their own because they started independently sure, sure um, yeah. so we can definitely expand on a lot of that
2: so let's let's go and spend a few minutes talking about the history definitely of of where Hollywood kind of started in its own right because it was a response to the Edison Trust Mm -hmm. and um, that was basically a monopoly Mm -hmm. held by all the people who had the patents on the technology, right?
3: Yeah, so you have Thomas Edison who has a patent on filmmaking and he has a patent on the raw film itself. So the stuff used to actually make the films he has all the patents on that so in 1908 they create the Motion Picture Patents Company and this causes a huge rift in the industry and um, people who weren't able to be a part of the motion picture um Patent's company said, screw that, we're going to Hollywood because it's the farthest away we can get from New Jersey, where Thomas Edison is based. <laughs> so they go to this little village in Hollywood, which is Hollywood, you know, as it is back in 1908. And the people are really super friendly and they're like, yeah, you can make a movie here, it's cool. And so then the industry starts to evolve in Hollywood. But you know what? The Supreme Court gets involved and says, no, you can't put a patent on raw film, you can't put a patent on filmmaking. So we're going to make independent filmmaking legal people who want to be able to use raw film for their own purposes can do so so Thomas Edison's patent I and mean, all like that that became null and void and already people were starting to make films in Hollywood they were starting to do that because of their early reaction and this was the dawn of the um, golden age of cinema the studio system Right. So you have all these Jewish immigrants coming in and realizing that they can make art and do film out west. So they all go to Hollywood. Notable names such as Louis B. Mayer and Samuel Goldwyn, Carl Lammel, who started Universal and Adolf Zucker, who started Paramount, as well as the Warner Brothers, the original brothers themselves, all went out to Hollywood and they all started the studios. And then um, out of those, the top studios of the time were 20th Century Fox, MGM, Paramount, RKO Pictures, and Warner Brothers. And then we also had three little ones called um, Columbia, United Artists, and Universal. And they're considered the three little majors because they were in competition with those top big five ones, but they couldn't quite make it. And out of those three, this is really interesting, um, the one called United Artists was actually started by a group of actors, most notably Charlie Chaplin, Barry Pickford, uh, Douglas Fairbanks, and D.W. Griffith. And D.W. Griffith is actually cited as making the first, directing the first film that was made in Hollywood, and it was called *In Old California*, done in 1910.
1: Yeah, and they, he's also
0: infamous for making *Birth of a Nation*. Yeah, that's well. so—he's
2: a bastard. <laughs> God, they made me watch that
1: oh, in two different classes in
0: college—one film so, class in, the, in a history oh class. and I so, hated it. It, it is it's so bad. terribly <laughs>
2: offensive.
3: It's bad, awkward. Yeah, <laughs> but putting it in a historical context, we can. Kind of give them some leeway there. Nope, no, bad. <laughs> no, not worth uh-uh. of a nation, but for inland California. Well, was
0: it, Woodrow Wilson, who said, "Yes, it's it's," and it's sadly, it's all true. Oh. And like, wow, Woodrow Wilson, Yikes. you are a fucking that's racist, so and that's
1: why your name is synonymous with a boner now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there we go. I've got a
1: Woodrow. I got. A Woodrow.
2: <laughs> and so, United Artists was considered the first independent. Film production company. Film production company. But that itself kind of ended in the 1940s because basically I think a lot of the business, the ones who owned the business and the producers who were contributing to it all just kind of moved on. Well, that really
0: just begs the question, though, what does it even mean to be independent then? Because, yes, they were independent, but how long were they independent before they... Became just another studio. I think it's
2: the spirit of creative control, creative control and um, and salary
0: control and budgetary control.
2: So
3: low-budget films came out of the reaction to the end of the studio system in the Mm forties. The studio system ended because again it had to do with a lawsuit. Vertical integration. Yeah. Yeah, they told them you have to be able to sell out these theaters, these cinemas. Um, You can't keep them for yourself. You have to be able to make them massively available. Um, and that had something. I'm not too familiar with the story behind. Well, that. Well, there was a uh, there, there. Was a yeah, full
2: antitrust suit that went all the way up to the Supreme Court regarding right. that. Yeah, it yes. was Centered around um, theaters in Detroit that were owned by Paramount. Yeah. Right, yeah. right.
0: And the Paramount theaters still exist to this day. They're not owned by Paramount, but they're they still have the same lettering, and they're still. I mean, it's very blatant that that's the same type. Mm-hmm. Are they st-
1: are they still in Detroit?
0: Um, they may not be in Detroit, but there's a there's one. Because
1: in- I was like, if they are, what do they do? Just make like robocop fan films all
0: the time <laughs> well actually sean kind of, of surprising because you edited our whole episode on movie palaces um yes i did yeah a lot of these have been repurposed as, as stage theaters or nice. musical venues yeah. now i would say check out i demand smell vision and cinematron prime for nerds mm. in history where we cover this but for those who don't listen to that podcast
3: yeah this is kind of a fun little walk down history lane yeah. for yes. you the um, historical context of independent film. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's for pretty much what was one monopoly was traded for another. Because mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. Edison had the monopoly on the technology, mm-hmm. the studio system had a monopoly on isn't the it, production, exhibition, and distribution.
2: Isn't it technically an oligopoly or something like that?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, well. yes, it'd be an ola what if you said yeah. on English <laughs> I know right okay. but anyway well, so, but poly they, poly but this, <laughs> yeah right but
2: basically what it meant was that in 1948 the US Supreme Court said that all Hollywood studios had to sell their theater chains yes and and open it up for fair business of distribution
1: Okay. Yeah. Which is so. funny because I could swear there were United, there's still United Artist theaters.
0: There are. And Disney still owns a couple of theaters. And
1: there's Sony
3: theaters. Yeah. Here's the thing about United Artists, though, is that unfortunately it phased out because a lot of the creative talent went, went on into different projects mm-hmm. and they forgot about United Artists. Um, well, I, Disney in particular, he yeah. went on and enjoyed RKO. I mean, they all did well, different there things. There was
2: also the Society of Independent Motion Picture Producers, and those were the yeah. ones who filed the antitrust in right, the first
3: place. Right. So. And that one in particular. It was formed by fellows like Disney and Orson Welles and um, other strong power players. The
0: interesting thing about that, though, is that the people who are on the board of the MPAA, Mm -hmm. a lot of them are theater owners. In fact, pretty much they are the owners of every major theater chain in this country. Nice. As well as a couple people in the studios. So, yes, the vertical integration has, quote-unquote, ended, Uh but it's been replaced with a a more... That's a conflict
1: of interest to me. Shouldn't it be the theater goers that are the...
2: The MPAA is... An episode all to itself. Oh yeah,
0: uh, we've been oh one. We've been waiting to do since the beginning. Fun one th- little
2: fact about the MPAA:
3: the George Romero vehicle *Night of the Living Dead* was the first and last film to have unrestricted screening wow. for the adoption of the MPAA ratings. Wow. Yep. So we talked about that. Kids saw that oh freaking my movie. Gosh. Wow. <laughs> George Romero really set a lot of things into motion in that respect.
0: Yeah, and that <laughs> yeah. It's
1: because, like we said before, he released it as like a matte nay-showing that kids went to. Yeah.
0: Right, back. we talked about that way back in our Halloween episodes. Back in the day. All yes, right, yeah. fair enough. Yes. So a lot of it, we're, we're going we're gonna to say, hey, footnote, by the way, this podcast, check yeah. it out.
2: This one happened. Okay, yeah. so
3: now we're going into the new Hollywood era,
2: right? Well, yeah, so... I mean, what is happening over the this kind of golden age time is you have a lot of major studios who are just making musicals and epics and that sort of thing all the 50, classic yeah. stuff that we kind of still attribute to the time period today but this funny thing was also happening right after world war 2 was the home video kind of came out the home yeah. camera, so you could make your own movies at home. And while people were using them mostly just to awkwardly stand and smile because they didn't understand really how it worked, I, I <laughs> love <laughs> I love watching old. It is
1: true that people be, look like they're posing for pictures for like yeah. twenty straight minutes. I know like it's so damn or funny. Footage.
2: <laughs> like, it <will> look great.
1: <laughs> and like yelling at you could see the consternation too, like yeah. people yelling at each other, they're running like, into frames, setting Why are up, and then running back. <laughs> back out of frame.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you had a lot of people who were kind of experimenting on their own. Yeah. Um, and then you also had this kind of new generation of filmmakers that were coming out in response to these Hollywood epics and musicals and saying, these aren't the type of things that we want. Let's see some stuff that's more relatable to the people. Totally. And that's where you get Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's where you get Midnight Cowboy. Yes.
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: this is considered the, uh, the new Hollywood movement. Um, you had a lot of influence from foreign filmmakers like Fellini you had the avant-garde movement from Andy Warhol
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, and a lot of this stuff was kind of coming in one big amalgamation that was the gorgeousness of the late 60s and early 70s New wave I mm-hmm. mean a lot of good artistically based films came yes. out of this I want
1: to let our audience know there is an awesome documentary about this era and I'm not sure if it's two or three parts, but it's called A Decade Under the Influence. Nice. And it's amazing. If you want like a really detailed, but at the same time, fairly brief account of what happened in the 70s, it's awesome. Cool. Okay.
2: That's really cool. We should right
3: check on. that out. Right on. Oh, and there's also, um, we want to mention uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Georgia Lucas's uh, production company, American Zoetrope. Um, which came out at this time frame, and actually during the development of that production company, um, Lucas made THX 1138. Yeah, yeah.
0: the feature length version of it. He made right. a, he made a short film version of it when he was at USC. Okay, yeah. yeah. So out
3: of, out of film school, though, I, he was able to develop that yes. and make that, and that kind of started his career. So George Lucas started as an independent. I filmmaker. love
2: that fact. Yeah, I love that fact. I just kind of want. I would love to <laughs> remind him of his humble beginnings <laughs> as yes. an independent filmmaker. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, I um, mean, totally.
0: Lucas and, has always been more interested in the technology behind film than mm-hmm. so much about yes he's been interested about telling stories but the whole reason that like even THX 1138 got him his career going was because the sound effects in that movie were so revolutionary yeah it, it was that that actually made it feel futuristic because otherwise the cars the costumes and things yes they were futuristic in a very dystopian sort of way nice but it didn't quite feel real until the sound started to really yeah take yeah, an, which is why his sound company was called PHX. Nice because of that. Movie. You know,
3: I think the funny irony about George Lucas's career is with his career kind of taking off because of THX, the advent of blockbuster films, most notably his Star Wars and Jaws, which was Spielberg's, were kind of the signifying of the end of the new Hollywood era because the advent of the blockbuster. Yeah. The late 70s to the whole basically, you know, era of the 80s Yeah, and that's also the
1: advent of the massive amount of sequels. Like, sequel, sequel, sequel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think that's really interesting that I mean, if you look at Lucas and Coppola um, and where these movies are coming from, these are people who are basically film students, but they are the pupils of Hollywood studios. Yeah. So this is kind of like almost a parental rebellion (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like is that outside of Hollywood, you still had an independent movement as well, especially over in New York. But Mm -hmm. I think that one is more on an artistic scale
0: Mm
2: -hmm. and not just, I want to do what I want to do, you know? (laughs) But if you look at David Lynch and John Waters, they came out of this same time period. yeah. And Lord knows their stuff is drastically different than anything you would see come from Coppola or Lucas. And it's because they're coming from a more artistic approach. John Waters' artistic approach is bizarro to well, me sometimes, but I get on, it. <laughs> hang, hang on
0: a second. Hang on a second. I don't think that Lucas or Coppola were any less artistic. I think they're looking at it from different philosophies of, of expression. I mean, I think when you look at Waters particularly, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're counterculture, counterculture, yeah. if, if anything else. And so, of course, like you look at Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, my God.
3: Amazing, amazing film.
0: Yes, and like what it's—it is so counterculture. It's not even funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, just uh, Guy
3: Pierce's eyebrows in that movie. Oh oh my God, glorious, (laughs)
2: glorious.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I think I also wanted to mention um, the advent of Sundance. Yes. Um, As we know, or as any might be familiar with, um, the Sundance Film Institute is kind of an indie film institution, and um, it's a film festival that happens yearly in uh, Colorado.
0: Park City, Utah
3: Park City, Utah Thank you Well it started I think in Colorado No it started in Utah In
2: 1978 It was called The Utah slash U.S. Film Fest
3: What does it have to do With Colorado? I don't know Anyway
2: There's the
0: Aspen Film Festival And there's the Telluride Film Festival Oh that's the point
3: I'm trying to make About the Sundance Film Institute Is that it started um, In 1978 And uh, Robert Redford Was on the board for that Um, He was kind of brought in As the you know The big name And uh, Sundance Is actually a reference To his uh, role In Butch Cassidy And the Sundance Kid Yep Mm -hmm. Um, So they're kind of of like you know giving Robert Redford a big name here and it was changed to the Sundance Film Festival in 91 because it gained so many accolades and got so popular and directors such as um, Kevin Smith Robert Rodriguez Quentin Tarantino David O. Russell Paul Thomas Anderson Steven Soderbergh James Wan Hal Hartley and Jim Jarmusch are just a few names that gained popularity and basically got their careers started thanks to the Sundance Film Institute and some
2: of those directors have gone studio and others still remain independent yeah you know
3: yeah. So um, the advent of film festivals, mm-hmm. things like that really got a lot of what we see as independent film today going, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of the funding happened because of it. a lot of the distribution happened because of these festivals. Yeah. And the word of mouth happens because of these festivals.
0: Well, yeah. it's it's really interesting because I think with independent, the reason why it's still so viable now is you have a chance to have people who are not necessarily in the system see your film mm-hmm. and gain some traction before you, you market it to... I mean, Sundance is now basically a gi- gigantic one-week festival where you pitch your film to a bunch of different studios who want to buy it, right? Right. That's, yeah,
1: it's taken the place of the feature film market, you know, that used to be where people went to buy movies. Now they go to Sundance. Before, I mean, Sundance in its early stages, there wasn't deals being made in the lobbies right. after the showings. No. Exactly. And yeah.
0: people like that because... Well, for as it started out, it was a way for people to see new content, stuff that was mm-hmm. not mainstream, right? And oh. yet, pe- we love independent film because it's creative, and it's the epitome of creative freedom. I was talking to one of the professors at Roxy Our, and I's alma mater. Alma mater, yeah.
2: I went there, too. Yes, yeah. that's right. It's but you over. weren't
0: in the film department, Sarah. No, yeah, I was
2: in the English department. We were, like, way, way not cooler. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll, <laughs> mention I'll
0: mention his name. He's an Academy member. I mean, he uh, his name is Harry Matthias. Great guy. He's one of the cinematography uh, professors there. And we had a great long conversation about if you're going to be independent for creative freedom, honestly, if you, you work in the studio system, if you get your film done on time and under budget, studios will leave you alone. You can make whatever kind of film you want. Totally. So it's kind of funny. It's like people who aren't comfortable working within the constraints of the business of, I think, of Hollywood, of on time, under budget. Are the people who tend to gravitate more toward the independent side, yeah. free spirits, the free spirits, yep. yes,
2: who are not deadline driven. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that
3: kind of leads us into the modern era of filmmaking, um, especially with the '90s and the '90s kind of being typed as the like the indie film era. Um, most notably, the most successful independent film of all time, being cited as *Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles*, which is awesome. <laughs> I'm so excited whoa, whoa, to hear whoa, that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I swear to God, Sean. I swear to whoa. God.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure that the Blair Witch Project.
3: You know, I think that one's up there, but I've Not seen multiple as much. sources saying that Teenage Mutant Ninja It was like
0: $185 million, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Made
3: over, and it was New Line Cinema, so
1: that
0: of it. the first it. one, the, yes, which first one. I enjoy to this day, I think it's a great movie. <laughs> it is
2: a great movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, Yeah, and
0: so, so respectfully done to... I mean, cricket! <laughs> nobody <laughs> <laughs> understands cricket. You gotta know what a crumpet is <laughs>
1: to understand cricket. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Classic.
1: Yeah, sorry I had
0: to do that. That was like
2: spot on too. <laughs> that was a great. Show. I watched that movie a lot
1: to this day. <laughs> totally.
0: Pork rind, pork rind. <laughs> Pizza dudes got.
3: Pizza dudes got thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, if we have listeners out there that can correct me on that factoid, please write write, write to us.
1: You know what? I think you're right, Roxy, because I think Blair Witch Project was uh, made the most per capita based on its budget. Sure. Because it was such a low budget.
3: Okay, that's fair.
0: It was made by Although that's 000.
1: also the movie that made everybody really go, Holy shit, we can all make a movie.
3: Yeah. That's
1: ninety percent handicam footage and it was mm-hmm. so hyped up and was had such a huge release.
3: People thought it was a documentary.
0: Can like, I can up. I go back to the famous sketch from Family Guy? <gasps> with Brian being oh my re- God. Re- re- reading movies for the for the blind. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Something about a map. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And it's over. The audience looks pretty pissed off. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I just find it so fascinating that the actors were just as terrified during the making of the film as the audience was watching it. Yeah. I mean, the the that's kind of the narrator's. of
1: balls that, off yeah, you, and ovaries off. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, you need to out, see it. Out or out. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> ovaries <yeah>.
0: out. <laughs> that's a movie where it the space totally dictates how well you take it in. If yeah. you see it in a theater, dark in theater, yes, absolutely. Totally. Terrifying. I saw it on my television set, middle of the day. Mm hmm. All the lights were on. Well, didn't need light because sun was going through the house. This is it. This is the movie that is so, so terrifying. I I, I didn't get it. I, I applaud them for hey taking a hundred thousand dollars and mishmashing film with handy cam and basically shooting it in like a week out in the woods. More power to you guys. Yeah. You you accomplished what most people cannot. Sure. But that being said.
3: Yeah. Well, it kind of introduced an entire new era of found footage horror films. Yeah, no? correct. It
0: Thanks basically started a subgenre we have of been horror. Shit on yeah.
1: by yeah. the Paranormal Activity oh, franchise. There have
0: been, would not have been a Paranormal Activity had there not been a Blair Witch Project.
2: Well, <laughs> and another really cool thing that's that has happened during the '90s because you have found footage movies coming out and. Um, again, kind of more the home-style feel, Mm -hmm. you have more and more people exploring film on their own, again, because the stuff is ready for them. And then YouTube happens, (laughs) and people can make their own films and get them out there for distribution any which way possible. And so, effectively, this is kind of, this was my theory when YouTube first came out, was that I was like, wow, well, entertainment just became a cottage industry. Totally. Um, Because we have the means of production. Yeah. And when things when digital cameras became affordable mm-hmm. that just made it even more exponential.
0: Yeah, I think there was one other smaller leap that took place just a few years ago. And that would happen when Nikon released the Nikon D3100 camera, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. the first DSLR camera to record 1080p video right. wow. at 24 frames per second. I remember seeing early uh like just test footage that was being done with this stuff and thinking, "Wow." It must have been like a hundred thousand dollar camera they were using. And the person next to me was like, "No, that cost, twelve bucks. That, 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 that camera cost about five hundred, or actually, probably at the time it was more like eight or nine. Wow. But nevertheless, the fact that you could, with the lens and the sensor, the right. fact that you could really capture what was ninety percent looking like a Hollywood film mm-hmm. with a cheaper—that's like what got Vimeo going. And now Vimeo is all about the high quality mm-hmm. DSLR filmmakers who are showing off their work yeah. there it's it's that i think even revolutionized it further
2: well and beyond that like you guys were talking about this on the last episode Mm -hmm, which was awesome by the way people are able to basically film movies on their cameras yeah on their on their smartphone on their their smartphone yeah that's what i meant on their smartphone cameras like whatever iPhone camera yeah yeah so like the actually one of the earliest films to do this is one that's still looking for distribution but it was done by a guy who actually works for a radio station here in the bay area works for Alice 97.3 his, his name's Hooman <laughs> and he actually made this movie called Olive and it, he's he's been shopping it for nice. a very long time I don't know if it's going to go anywhere uh, but I don't like his attitude in general sorry but but they basically it was one of the first films to be filmed entirely on a camera phone and they just strapped a crazy lens to it Wow, and then just made and just did it that whole way it was kind of the shtick for the film but the fact that we have this in our hands means anybody can make an independent film. Mm-hmm. And when you look for crowdsource funding and all this other stuff, it's fairly easy to make a film. Getting yeah. it picked up, getting it seen is tougher because you are competing with approximately 4,000 movies a year that are coming out.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's really tough. And even now, like, taking it beyond the smart film – yes, you can take your smartphone and you can – Shoot the movie that looks amazing, but even now with 4K, uh, which matches 35 millimeter film, if you can budget, at, you know, three or four thousand dollars, you can acquire a camera that shoots 4K video at nice. the same frame rate as, as film does, and that's considering that a couple of years ago those cameras used to cost tens, if not a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that's that is revolutionary. Like you're saying, you're, you're giving the power of to produce the same quality on the same level as as Hollywood is making it accessible to anybody awesome yeah
3: so let's talk about then the process the modern-day process of getting an independent film put together and then what's the kind of successful formula to get it out there and to get it popular and to get Oscar nominations and things like that you know Sean do you have input on that
1: yeah it's I think a lot of it has to do with crowdfunding yeah crowdfunding is the new frontier and to go back to something Ron said God that interview was awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Something that by he the said <laughs> was that what he wants it to turn into, what I think we all think it should turn into is not to just go around looking for random people to give you money, but people that are mm-hmm. passionate about your material
3: and who know that they would get their investment returned to them um yes. at least in some way or yes. another. Yeah. Which
1: right. is actually evolving. There is I read a uh, article on tribecafilm.com recently. It was posted in January, so it's a little old, but it's talking about how the crowdfunding revolution is kind of changing and that um, after Zach Braff's Kickstarter-funded movie, Wish I Was Here, sold for $2.75 million at Sundance, that um, people are actually starting to move towards actually making the people that are crowdfunding things legally investors rather than just donating and being guaranteed these prizes. Like they're they're saying if a movie is selling for this much and has the potential to make this much money, then the people who are donating have the right to make some money back.
2: That's interesting,
1: which I think is awesome because I mean, a lot of the bigger people like we were like we had heard at uh, NMX that Penn Gillette had some pretty awesome things that he gave away as rewards for his Kickstarter donations. But I mean, honestly, some people are seeing how much money these can potentially make and think they deserve more. I mean, do you guys agree?
3: I would it's giving power to the people and giving the independent film fans yeah more influence on the projects that they would like and not
0: only that but like what better way to say screw having to pitch your film your target audience is already telling you by offering money that Mm -hmm. they want to see your movie and if you can just say well i'll make this hundred dollar pledge in return for x amount of returns on on investment you don't even need to worry about prizes because you've already built that in there i mean that like the system takes care of itself at that point yeah. That's actually yeah. a, I think it's a brilliant idea actually and it's, it's so simple too.
2: Yeah, if you're paying back the investors or guaranteeing people who are investing on Kickstarter a certain percentage back, effectively it, you're still utilizing free market capitalism in a really traditional way. And so I think it I think it works. And I don't see why people wouldn't be on board for that, especially if it is going to give them IMDb credit and that kind yeah. of thing. Like, why not? Totally. Well, I
1: think it's the it's the filmmakers, the ones, like, the the bigger ones that are taking advantage of Kickstarter that yeah. have their own passion projects that they can't get through a studio. Right. It's and But their movie can still potentially make a ton of money even exactly. if it's just on VOD or Netflix because it could get popular exactly. out of nowhere.
2: Right. I think that works. So, yeah, definitely crowdfunding is a really huge, good way to get your movie out there because you are also building your fan base before the movie's even being made so that is is fantastic other things that are really important to look at when you're making an independent film um, i was reading one article online where they basically said that the best decision they ever made was hiring a casting director Mm. yes and that's because these directors are generally well connected they can pull in talent from anywhere and more so while they're pulling in talent, and we're talking, you know, depending on what your budget is, it, you can get some major celebrity and some star factor, which will help make your movie more popular. If you're like, holy crap, Elijah Wood and John Cusack are in this movie, I think I need to watch it, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, what an awesome combo,
1: Sarah. I know, <laughs> I know right?
2: Um, or you can also get like maybe a mid level star who's ridiculously talented and push them up to an A-list star, i.e. something like Juno, where it really made Ellen Page more of a household name. Totally. So those kinds of things are really beneficial, but at the same time, while the casting director is going out there and pushing to find talent, they're also passing out your script, and people in the industry are already looking at your script before it even gets made as well, so you're already starting to generate your buzz. Putting things out there and reaching out to the online media, IndieWire, Ain't It Cool?, Film School Rejects actively promotes uh, independent filmmaking and uh, and short films on a regular basis. So getting critics on your side and promoting the hell out of your movie is going to help you reach distributors to get your yep. film seen. And getting your film seen is really what determines your success. Um, even with VOD, since that's such a huge, huge method of, di- of distribution now – there are companies that are very specifically I think it's Gravitas Returns, Go Digital, and Brainstorm, these are some three big ones, that basically are VOD distributors. They will get all of your they will get your film out to iTunes, Amazon on demand or whatever, and, and all those online VOD places mm-hmm. and in the hands of the people who are gonna be watching it. And when you say VOD you mean video on video demand. Video on demand. So yeah. we're talking about like Comcast. Too. We're talking about streaming, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, honestly, how many times has you as an audience member sat around and said, I want to watch something completely different? And Mm -hmm. you're flipping through your on-demand on your TV or through Netflix or iTunes and thinking, wow, I stumbled upon this really crazy movie and ryan reynolds and melissa mccarthy are in it i guess totally. i'm gonna watch it that was sevens the sevens it was actually a pretty okay movie yeah.
3: <laughs> i mean there are ty- entire cable channels dedicated to independent mm-hmm. filmmaking ifc right. i mean right. that's the point of that yeah. station there
0: was one channel. on the other day that's like i never heard about in theaters and it's got robert de niro and john cusack in it and it's exclusively VOD. i think it's exclusively through direct tv's the oh. od wow. system and like this is a really high profile movie that i never heard about in theaters <laughs> what's what the going on now is, I mean, like you're saying, is mm-hmm. it really starting to change? Are we really starting to see that, I mean, as much as it pains me to say, is the theater film going to die? And
2: I don't think it's going to well. die, but I think it may operate in reverse, that maybe things find their voice on VOD and then get picked up by theaters.
0: Oh, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that exchange. could
2: potentially happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another really good thing for kind of success factor that I was looking at, you know, on kind of a more fundamental level, make making your story... That you're doing make it work for your budget yeah and don't go crazy like (laughs) don't get crazy yeah like be realistic (laughs) because the what i hate the most is when things start looking rinky dink oh yeah because of the fact that you have such a grand story and you don't have the budget to back it up so that's always really rough
0: it's it's a challenge because they also encourage you when you're taking screenwriting classes to not limit yourself don't worry about the budget yet Yeah. Get your story on paper first.
2: Yeah. And then, but then you can tailor it. Like, if you have to, if you have this movie that's going to span, you know, 10, you know, 10 years. Okay, how can you shorten that and take stock of your locations and that yeah, kind of thing yeah. and what you what you have available? Do you to like what you? they did right. with the
3: eraser head and make sure that guy just keeps his hair cut for the entire five years? Exactly. Span of the exactly.
2: Freaking movie. His pre-Marge Simpson buzz cut. Oh my, oh my god. Oh my god. That's he rough. pretty much
0: had David Lynch's hair
2: cut. <laughs> <He did>, right?
0: <laughs> or I think rather David Lynch's hair has gone slowly toward right. what the Eraserhead's head's haircut.
2: I love it. And and also, um, really important things, submit to film festivals. Yes. Do it. There are plenty of film festivals that will take resubmissions. So don't just, don't burn your bridges. Don't be a jackass about it. Just suck it up if they didn't like your movie the first time around and try again later.
0: One thing I've learned is when they say, yeah, we'll take a rough cut, no, they won't. Oh. (laughs) Give them a final film. Yeah. Because unless you are like the rough cut and you happen to be, you know, Darren Aronofsky, (laughs) I know this is the rough cut of the movie. Okay, well, he's already proven himself. Sure. (laughs) So it's like, okay, it's rough, but okay, it's Darren Aronofsky. You have the
3: credibility, yeah. Exactly.
0: If you're trying to prove yourself to people who have never met you before, you have to show them what what you've got, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's the lesson I learned the hard way with Dave and mine's film, Signed by the X. We got rejected from the first festivals we submitted it to, and it's because we gave him a rough cut. Yeah. We didn't give him a final piece.
2: Right. Okay, that's a very good point. And and also, I mean, getting your movies in theaters, Is not as difficult as it seems. I mean, AMC Independent, like, focuses on making sure that, like, some 20% of the movies that they're putting out there in theaters are independent films. I mean, CineArts, total. Exactly. Exactly, right? If you want to go, like, the more grassroots option, you can do what they call four-walling your movie, which basically means you are renting your theater space. Nice. And basically... You're selling the tickets, you keep the profits from your tickets, but the theater gets all the money from concessions. It's kind of like what they do at awesome. Camera 3 in downtown. So in addition to walling it and, like I said, doing the grassroots option, which is rough and you do have the potential to lose a lot of money because sometimes you have to pay up front to a certain extent to rent the space. Yeah. There's also this online option called Tug, T-U-G-G, and it basically helps get movies into theaters, independent movies in theaters. It's crowdsourcing, again, where people are basically committing or pledging to seeing a movie in a theater, and if enough people pledge to it, then they will put that movie in a theater and get people to go to it. So that's kind of a really interesting way of operating, too. Yeah. I love that people are utilizing that. You just have to prove that there's an audience for it.
1: And now that everybody's communicating with each other through that everybody's connected, you don't have to do statistics and rough numbers of what you think is going to happen. You have hard data, right? Of who is going to see and who's going to want to see your movie.
2: Right. Show me the data. And yeah. I fu- and this is this is good for like the pe- Yeah, the people who are starting. From the bottom, because once your movie gets seen, and if you do have a good amount of star power, star power also really helps have a celebrity in it. Yeah. There are a lot of celebrities who love working with independent filmmakers. for very. Sp- John Cusack is one of them. He loves mm-hmm. working with independent filmmakers. Uh, Michelle Monaghan, who was in mm-hmm. Kiss, yeah. Kiss, Bang, Bang, she loves working with independent filmmakers, mm-hmm. too. There's a lot of creativity to be had there, and it's really good for actors. You know, being able to, to do that, you can get picked up by an independent studio Mm -hmm. which is interesting like because you have new line touchstone which is owned by disney fox Fox searchlight a lot of these ones are just subsidiaries to major studios but they're going to help your movie get distributed widely. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. They're pretty much that's why they exist. It's kind of weird because Warner Brothers has two. They have New Line and they had Warner Independent. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess they have an independent and a, and a more independent. Yeah. I guess so. Independent.
2: Well and so DreamWorks used to be an independent studio. Oh yeah. Then when they became more major their distribution actually went through Touchstone which is Disney's subsidiary which I find really interesting because I'm like Pixar and DreamWorks are kind of big competitors. Oh uh, yeah. So yeah. I find it interesting that Disney kind of does the distribution Well, for DreamWorks, DreamWorks
0: Animation is a... Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say Walt Disney Pictures and DreamWorks for the live-action stuff is really that competitive. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. And I, I would barely call DreamWorks an independent company because when you got Steven Spielberg, David Geffen, who had already made billions of dollars on said it films, was. <laughs> no, I would say even from its inception, you got Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the head of animation at Disney. Yeah. Steven right, Spielberg. Okay. No, no introduction needed. Well, and David Geffen, Music mogul who had made a right. bunch of money investing in independent films already. Yeah, nice. coming together. It's a new studio. It's was not it? an independent.
2: David Geffen was also was the guy who did Live Aid, right? Maybe. I think he might have been one of the contributors to it. I, you know? I think he was the guy who was like the major voice behind Live Aid. Hmm. Very possible. Yeah. I mean, speaking of like
3: in, independent films and like animated worlds, you have Don Bluth. Right. You also have Don Bluth and then Amblin Entertainment. Speaking Mm -hmm. of Steven Spielberg, I mean, Amblin was responsible for films such as... uh, E.T. E.T., but then animated films, uh, Fievel Goes West, I believe. Mm -hmm. And
2: American Tale, yeah. Yeah, American Tale. Yes. So
3: stuff like that is really important.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Think about... A wowie!
2: (laughs) We gotta have a
0: wowie! We gotta
3: have a wowie! That's what I
0: said, a wowie. So
3: can I (laughs) mention then a few of uh, important names and titles um, in the independent film? film cinema history that we can sure. kind of like... Well, who, yes. are you, who are you referencing? Oh, I'm referencing um, an article featured in Empire magazine. Okay. So Empire went ahead and compiled the list of the 50 greatest uh, independent films of all time. And on the top of their list, they... Mentioned. So we have Mean Streets by Scorsese in 1973. We have Reservoir Dogs with Tarantino in 1992, the start of his career. And we have uh, Donnie Darko, a uh, film that started off Jake Gyllenhaal's career in 1992. Anybody else rewatched? 2001, excuse me.
2: Anybody else rewatch Donnie Darko now and just go, why was I so obsessed with this movie when I first saw it? (laughs) That's kind of where I'm at with that movie now. I'm like... I mean, it's good, but why was I so into it before?
1: (laughs) I'm having the same thing with Boondock Saints 2 recently.
2: Oh, Boondock Saints 2? Oh, I did not like that one. No, not Boondock Saints
1: 2. The first Boondock Saints I obsessed over like I did Donnie Darko. And now when I watch it, I see a few of the holes in certain things. And I'm like, oh, why did I hold this up on such a pedestal? Even though I still like both of those movies. I still own (laughs) them.
3: Trust your initial reaction to film. I think that's important. You know Mm -hmm. why not so then let me ask you guys what's your reaction to James Cameron's 1984 The Terminator?
4: Oh, I love
3: it!
2: I can't actually. I was. I had to kind of do a double take when I was like, "That was an independent movie." Uh Apparently, (laughs) he came up with the script in like two weeks. Really?
0: Yeah.
2: James Cameron. No, right? That doesn't really surprise me.
0: (laughs) I love the film up until the special effects being so dated because that part takes me out of the story. Now, like the stop motion cyborg. Yeah, uh, he still
3: did a lot for, yeah. you know, producing and making the film what it was.
1: So Brian wants to see Terminator special edition if we, Spielberg and Lucas can get their hands on it. <laughs>
3: But going on, we have Sam Raimi's Evil Dead One and Evil Dead Two. Most notably, mm-hmm. Evil Dead One was made on a shoestring budget, and the cast and crew almost quit the film because well, it yeah. was so bad. Like yeah. they were having such a horrible time making it because mm-hmm. they didn't have a budget, and because they just didn't know what they were doing as far as special effects goes, and like all the, uh, all the. There, stuff there are
1: so many <laughs> amazing stories from that set that you can read in Bruce Campbell's book. Uh, if Chins Could Kill, Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. That's a good book. <laughs> I There's some n- shit I that not... went down on that set.
2: Ooh, I will not say that Bruce Campbell's a very good writer, but I do love him. Well, then we also have a
3: John Cassavetes film from 1959 called Shadows. And Shadows is kind of cited as Cassavetes' biggest initial film. Because um, John Cassavetes is kind of, he's been touted as the godfather of independent cinema he kind of got it popularized and a lot of the techniques that he used as far as cinema verite techniques, um, documentary style filmmaking. And, modern, uh, independent film. yes, uh, yeah. modern independent film. Yes, modern independent film. Um, Cassavetes is actually notably known as the husband of Gina Rollins and the father of film director um, Nick Cassavetes, who directed yep. The Notebook.
2: <laughs> um, oh, so, so we David's can blame favorite him. movie ever. Of course. I bet it's Dave's favorite movie. <laughs> oh my god, that movie's terrible. Yeah, right. So
3: you can't, you know, look at an independent film list and not see John Cassavetes on it, because he did so much for the industry. Um, Then we also have Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It, which was from 1986, kind of the beginning of Spike Lee's career. A lot of these independent films were the beginnings of a lot of really notable directors' careers. Most notably, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead in in 68. The Coen Brothers made Blood Simple in 1984. Yeah. Um, Sofia Coppola's uh, Lost in Translation from 2003. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that started her career. Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape from 1989. Kevin Smith's Clerks. Yeah, Kevin Smith's Clerks. We have David Lynch's Eraserhead, which was his beginning, and Blue Velvet was basically uh, saved his career. Yeah. Um, And then we have Christopher Nolan's Memento. From Memento.
0: Oh, amazing so movie.
3: Memento is the reason Christopher Nolan is the director he is today. That movie oh, yeah. burned my brain. Yeah. Yeah, and the Definitely.
0: reason why his nonlinear style, like yes. everything he does today uh-huh. calls back to that style. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
3: That. So then we also have uh, Richard Linklater, who is also yeah. a very notable name, um, with uh, specifically Slacker and, of course, Dazed and Confused. All right, yeah. all right,
2: all right. <laughs> well, well, Linklater is the main inspiration for Kevin Smith. I believe totally. we've mentioned that I can, before. I believe but. That.
3: Absolutely. There's one notable director named uh, Jim Jarmusch, who is really known for very intellectually interesting films, most notably Stranger Than Paradise in 1984 and Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, with oh, a ghost dog. badass um Who's the actor that we're thinking of, Forrest Sean? Whitaker. Thank you. Forrest Whitaker with the cornrows oh, and God. samurai sword. Oh, my God. That
1: Just the what he does with the sword, where he's like... and then puts it back in all the time. <laughs> Oh, Apparently,
3: God. that was an Akira Kurosawa um, tribute, thing. And then uh, Jim Jarmusch went ahead and did it. So then um, some other ones we have, of course, Kevin Smith's Clerks. That mm-hmm. really, you know, was all that. Uh, Gus Van Zant's Drugstore Cowboy. That started mm. him off in 1989. Um, we have Darren Aronofsky with Pi. That was his initial yes. offering. Followed by uh, most notably Black Swan, which won Natalie Portman her Oscar. Oh, my and God. And The rest, Which was a mind yeah. fuck. Yeah. And then the wrestler which, you know,
2: revived um, Mickey Rourke's career. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. No,
1: I think Sin City revived his career.
2: Yeah, You think so? I think yeah. I honestly think that the wrestler made him a household name again. I yeah. think Sin- I,
1: Robert Rodriguez put him on the map into popular movies like Once Upon a Time in Mexico and Truth. then Sin City and then that's when he got a more
0: serious one. Yeah, word. but let's be fair though. I'm the wrestler t- got him his Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah, that's, what that's, what that's true. That's where I yeah. say but made him he household considered? name. considered
1: would he have even been considered unless he had had some work right before then? Do you think they you would make have probably had Not
0: true. And to be fair, his immediate film after The Wrestler was The Expendables. So mm. it's like, yeah. he does kind of does what he wants.
3: I like well, The Wrestler because it was a really kind
2: of parallel to Mickey Rourke's life. I will yeah. have to say, though, with as much as he fucked up his face with plastic surgery, oh. I mean, he's made himself a new career again being the ugly guy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy because he was a good-looking dude back in the day. And this is... <laughs> This is your warning, children.
1: <laughs> In my head, I just see Marv. I don't even see like, him anymore. I just right. see Marv from Sin City. I can't wait for Sin City 2. Oh, my gosh. Me too. Me too. Oh, oh my so God. Good. But I've been Could... waiting
2: for this movie to come out since yes. after. For right seven after... or eight,
1: eight, nine years. Right. I know.
2: Why has it been taking so long?
1: Because he couldn't do it. He Originally, he was going to do it with uh, uh, Angelina Jolie as the dame to kill for. What? This I'm excited about it because it's the best of all the books. Yeah. And it's just one story. It's not a mishmash of the best you right. can grab from every other one.
2: Yeah. I, re- I heard that in the original casting that they were going to do, like Deborah Messing was going to be in it. And I was like, wow. Yep. Grace? Why? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. So um, a few more to mention here are Robert
3: Altman's Shortcuts from 93, Brian Singer's The Usual Suspect. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. The start of Kevin Spacey. Kevin
1: Spacey, Benicio yes. del Toro.
3: Yes and
1: uh, what is it, Stephen Baldwin? <laughs> oh,
2: Stephen Baldwin.
1: No, he had done Biodome. Okay, he was already fair established. Enough.
2: Dude, Biodome was the shit. Right. I swear to God, I have such a love in my heart for Polly Shore movies Poly that it's Shore. disgusting. Okay. That
1: song, Safety Dance, plays at my job all the time. Yes. And when we do it, we just all start like doing the dance with our hands in the air. <laughs> That's
3: awesome. Okay, so I got to mention, Spike Jones being John Malkovich. That movie oh. was literally, the, the premise is... Let's Let's just do what the hell we want. It doesn't have to have a linear narrative at right. all. We'll just go into John Malkovich's brain and include the New Jersey Turnpike and see how it goes. I swear to God, i so I
2: think I've I've never watched that movie all the way through. Really? I've only caught bits and pieces on TV. It's and genius. every single time I'm like what the fuck is happening? <laughs> you have
3: every major actor going completely against type. And yeah. that's what's so brilliant yeah. about that film. Okay, so then we also have John Carpenter's Dark Star, which was mm. his beginner before Halloween happened. Right. And that really kind of got him, you know, not- notoriety for making really weird films. And then, of course, we have Little Miss Sunshine, which has a few unknown directors involved in it Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. Um, but Little Miss Sunshine is really. One of those films that got credibility on the Oscars. It uh, did,
2: and it's yeah. because of the acting. You totally. had great actors, and Abigail Breslin. Oh my God, what a career like starter! She, huh? It was a career starter, major yeah. career starter. But also at the same time, she's—I think she's really been able to, even though I are her movies that she's acting in as hope has high profile. Augusto Sage County, she was in that. Yeah, yeah. but.
1: I she was in Zombie Land, yeah. which Zombieland. was badass. Yeah,
2: I think um, she's. I yeah. think she's been able to yeah. basically maintain her talent, uh-huh. and I know that there's going to be a hell of a lot more that we're going to see from her as she grows up. Yeah, I definitely. hope that she has the ability to stay
3: humble enough in the industry. Yeah, because I get this feeling about her that once puberty happened for that girl, an attitude happened, and mm. I get this kind of vibe that she's a little bit kind of diva esque. I don't know. Ooh, I hope she not. was awesome in August, Sage County. I give you that, but. Yeah. There is this type of vibe I get from her that she she's not the innocent kid that we all loved in Little Miss Sunshine anymore. She really There's
1: is... there's something to be said for holding a child up on a pedestal at such a young age and yeah. giving them too much exposure makes them
2: Yeah. Go you know that what? Way sometimes. That that would be an interesting episode topic to talk mm-hmm. about child stars. Okay,
3: yeah. just a few more on the list. Um well, we talked about the Blair Witch Project of course from 1999 and to kind of round it off, <laughs> this Vin Diesel masterpiece,
0: Pitch Black. <laughs> I enjoy Pitch Black. I know it's a great movie. Considering that, for the fact that they had to do very few special effects shots,
3: mm-hmm.
0: yet they made it totally feel like a sci-fi movie. Yeah, was awesome. The
3: subsequent sequ- sequels, you know, were a little bit because they got. To, oh, you know, did you not like the Chronicles of Riddick? Nah, it's got too really? big for me, man. Mm-hmm. Pitch Black was really where it was at for me. They just I don't keep know. shortening
0: it. Like It was Chronicles of Riddick, then it was Riddick. Yeah, I didn't see Riddick. I think the next one's just going to be Ridd. <laughs> R- <And then, laughs> what about Dick? <laughs> dick. <laughs>
1: Starring Vin Diesel. And his dick. And his dick. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, man. Okay, and rounding out the list, um, more recent notable films, we have uh, Juno with uh, Ellen Page.
0: Fantastic movie.
3: Great, great film. Following the Little Miss Sunshine formula. Mm-hmm. Diablo
0: Cody. Amazing dialogue. Yeah, totally. She totally deserved that Oscar.
3: Absolutely. And Jennifer Lawrence's debut with uh, Winter's Bone, which mm-hmm. garnered her her first Oscar nomination in 2011. Nothing
1: good happens in that movie.
3: <laughs> it was a good movie, though. I, it was it. I, get,
1: I know it's good, but I get depressed when people mention I it, know. though. I go, oh. Yeah. I'm cutting my dad's hands off again. God <laughs> damn it.
3: <laughs> and uh, we've got Swingers, which was Doug Liman's film in 1996 with uh, Vince Vaughn and a bunch of other... <laughs> God, Such a crazy movie. Jon
2: Favreau was in that too.
3: Yeah, about that. Um, and also rounding that out, I have a film called In Search of a Midnight Kiss, which was made in 2008 by director Alex Holdridge. And this film I want to mention because it was part of this uh, genre of film called Mumblecore. And mumblecore, the genre, arose out of the indie film neighborhood because a bunch of film directors got together and wanted to start making films that were made on, you know, really low budgets and focused on naturalistic dialogue and interactions with actors. So going back to the John Cassavetes influence here, you know, you have a lot of films, um, most notably Frances Ha, which has garnered a lot of critical acclaim yeah. because of the mm-hmm. actress Greta Gerwig. And Greta Gerwig
2: is actually one of the most notable actors in a lot of these uh, mumblecore films. And um, she's going to be the ma or the new star of How I Met Your Father. Oh my God, that's going to be so the cool. The spinoff.
3: All right, fair.
2: <laughs> and then a few other Mumblecore films you
3: might know of: um, Cyrus with John C. Riley, and mm-hmm. who else am I thinking? Jonah Hill. Right. And then uh, Jeff Who Lives at Home, which has another How I Met Your Mother actor in it, Jason Segel. Jason, yeah.
2: So, which I really enjoyed that movie a lot. Right. I did. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, so Mumblecore was started by these two brothers, um, the Duplass brothers, and they really kind of took off and made Mumblecore really the indie film genre that it is today, which is the most popularized kind of, you know, you think of Lena Dunham, you think of um, a lot of different movies that like, that are made in that style. Even TV shows are made in that style now. Well,
2: it's because they, like, these are people with problems. These are people with real problems that are relatable, and they all feel like your fucked up neighbor. Like, yeah, and, and. There's a lot to be said for that, and I think a lot of the stuff does come into the response of the fact that independent filmmaking can be done so easily. Totally. And we do have the means of production, you know? So I think making it relatable is really important when you're going with independent filmmaking. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And I think a few
3: other uh, notable mentions is Paul Thomas Anderson's films. You know, we have the most recently The Master and then you have Magnolia and Boogie Nights and heart Eight and all that. And then Wes Anderson with all his, you know, his no, films. Oh,
2: Wes Anderson. Cannot wait for The Grand
3: Budapest Hotel. That,
2: that if you guys okay Go watch the Red Band trailer for Grand Budapest Hotel. I know, right? If you don't get excited about that movie, it I don't want to so talk good. to you. It looks so
1: good. Okay. And it's so amazing to watch. If you go all the way back to Bottle Rocket and mm-hmm. you just watch how the style of writing has stayed consistent, but as his, he's been able to get more money, his fine-tuning of the environments and yeah. the cinematography is just impeccable. That's probably my so favorite right.
2: thing about Wes Anderson movies is, is the environment that he makes. Just the way that they look yeah. and feel. He has a style all into his own, and I think that's
3: really valuable and important. Mm -hmm. Sean? Well, all all these directors
1: and writers that you've mentioned, the people that made all these independent movies are people that just went out there and they said, fuck it, I'm going to make a movie because I want to. Yeah. Yeah, and (laughs) it all starts with a really good story, and I think that's what's going to set all of the movies because we are so saturated with, like what did Sarah say, 4,000 movies movies being made per year. Oh, boy. So I think that... Everybody should try and make their own movies. But there's a lot of people out there who are really just wanting people to stop. And one guy in particular, I was reading this article on FilmmakerMagazine.com. This was from February. Uh, stop making indie films urges Kentucker Audley. <laughs> and he's, this guy, first of all, the guy's name is Kentucker Audley. What? Uh, two things to say to you about that. One, if that name was on your birth certificate, you had the power to change it. Two, <laughs> if it was not on your birth certificate and you changed it to that, Why? All right, moving on. <laughs> he started a petition on change.org that is urging mediocre independent filmmakers to stop making films oh because God. it is making it harder for people like him. By the way, uh, never fucking heard of you, buddy. Sounds like you're pretty mediocre to me. I looked at your IMDb and I saw VHS on there. Point stricken.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah, so this guy wants people to stop. Like, there's there are some people that are out there and bitter and want people to stop. But what I say to that is... Look at every other art form. Well, I mean, look at look at music. Anybody can make anything on GarageBand these days. I know because I've been messing with it lately. <laughs> like, but the people who do truly create good music, whether it is on that medium or with whether it's with traditional instruments, the stuff that's good gets set apart. Everybody can take pen to paper, but not everybody can write a book. Anybody can uh, try to sketch something, but it's not all going to be good. And everybody has the means to do that. The fact that there's people out there. They're saying, don't make your movies because they're mediocre and it's making it harder to see my movie. Mm. It just sounds like...
2: That's just so completely judgmental. And it's like, that is so goddamn frustrating to me because how dare you stifle anybody else's creativity? And first of all, who the hell are you petitioning to? Exactly. After you get all your signatures, who the fuck are you going to give that to? Because... There is no, you cannot control art.
0: He's trying to start a movement.
1: I can, you guys want to hear the, the, like, the, what it says before you want to sign the petition or not? Not really, to be honest. I just want maybe a couple points so you could see where this asshole is coming from and uh-huh. hate him even more. All right. It, uh, part of it says, film critics and film audiences will no longer be overwhelmed by the glut of mediocre indie productions, <laughs> while the truly inspired and talented filmmakers will easily be discovered and embraced, able to receive the
0: wide acclaim and financial gain they deserve. You know what, what? sir? Let me, let me make a, a, an appeal to this guy. You know what? If you have a problem with... Too many people making films, then make a better one. Yeah, (laughs) you know what? Because that's what's gonna set your film apart, dude. Because you were exactly because you were a medium-sized fish amongst smaller fish now, and now that there's bigger fish who have now, because of the technology, have now gotten their voice heard, and you're pissed off about it, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Exactly. Make whatever the hell you want. Do whatever you want to do.
1: Express
3: yourself however the hell you want. I mean, how do you think any of these filmmakers got their start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, surely they made crap. Sure, you know, they had their, their... I mean, David Lynch's career pretty much was all of that. He made films that really weirded people out. But he got notoriety about that and he got critical acclaim eventually. And I think right. that's really, you know, a valuable experience for a lot of good filmmakers. You can't
2: have that if you're going to have people just telling you not just. Well, and ugh, how and how so dare stupid. you say to somebody, we'll just make a good film or like yeah. stop the mediocre filmmakers. Everybody starts off shitty or mediocre. Oh, learning curve. Yeah. Like everybody has to have you know, trial and error in order to find their voice and find out how to do it. Uh, there's only the few prodigies out in the world who did everything perfectly from the beginning. So, yeah. oh, this guy just needs to shut his judgmental ass up or I will go shut it up for I don't him. think he needs
0: to be told because I'm pretty sure that the amount of internet people who have told him to shut up has already... They've oh, yeah. Already the social yeah.
3: media backlash, I'm sure, is huge. Yeah. Well... Yeah,
1: that was in late February. So I'm assuming by now... This guy is in a Motel 6 with a bottle of whiskey playing Russian roulette in the mirror. (laughs) Wow. At least I hope.
3: Oh, man. Good (laughs) Lord. How dare he? All right, guys. I think we've covered every base we wanted to cover today. Yeah?
1: Yes, we did. (laughs) Tell us what you guys think. Go to our
0: social media. What do you think is the best independent film?
3: Oh, yeah. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, and you can reply to us through our Facebook And our Twitter. Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation, Sean? No. (laughs) I'm kidding. Shut up. Oh, I'm kidding. Stop
2: it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Wow. It's a documentary.
2: Oh, my God. Whatever. (laughs) It really tricked them.
0: By all means, reach out to us through our social media at Facebook and uh, on Twitter at Neuronomy, And uh, keep the conversation going. Let's get into some feedback, shall we? Listener
2: Feedback.
0: Yeah.
1: So before I... uh, before the, Right when the show was starting and we were working out some technical difficulties, I posted on um, Twitter. Oh, wow. I just got another one. This is happening live, everyone. Nice. Well, not live. This is going to be airing on Tuesday and it's Friday right now. But anyway, it said, about to record NOF with the Nerdonomy crew. Tweet me something horrible to say that will make my mother hate me. <laughs> and my response to that. Hold on. One is from Seymour Butts at Seymour 48 awesome name bro it says I created this just to tell you to say on air that you think your ma should have gone ahead with that abortion <gasps> dot 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 you wanted this
4: oh so
1: ma you should have gone ahead that was never a the thought abortion. in her mind
4: <laughs> <laughs> yikes what
1: what else what else Patrick Jose my face smells like the quartet of dirty a- like wait wait Mike. hold on <laughs> My face smells like a quartet of dirty assholes.
2: <laughs> a quartet, in fact.
1: A quartet. A So that quartet. means they all have to be in harmony at some
0: point.
2: Right, I guess so.
0: Yeah. Um, Is there anything like when you do like water glass chimes, like where you just... If you, oh, the
2: glockenspiel? You, glockenspiel no, of like, assholes. Like, no, like if
0: you put water and you... Rain, you put yeah, you that's rip. called a glockenspiel. Is that glockenspiel? Oh my that's God. A glockenspiel, glockenspiel was that kind of like a... You know, the...
2: That's a xylophone.
0: I think Glockenspiel is a type of xylophone.
2: Well, yeah, I like Glockenspiel. That's a Glockenspion.
0: Glockenspion.
1: Glockenspion.
0: I think we need to correct Sarah on this. I, I, I can't fine. cite her right away, but I think she's wrong here. <laughs> Just so. go.
2: You've got an iPad. Go look it up. Prove me wrong. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, I wanted to say that uh, at Motion Picture Meltdown Podcast, um... Avid listeners of us did definitely give a shout out to Roxy. (laughs) What's up, guys? On Twitter, they said, "We at NPM Motion Picture Meltdown think you're a great addition to Nerds on Film. Love hearing smart women that love nerding out on cinema." Aww. So that was Roxy's little shout out for that one.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Which
2: I love having her here. It's great. It is great being here with you guys. So I'm
3: more than happy about it. Um, If you guys want to, you can keep tweeting me.
0: Absolutely, and we'll get to that in just a second. We have one more piece of feedback I'd like to share. Oh, great. This is from the normal feedback page. Uh, Christopher Bartlett, he put both his names down there, so I think we're going to go ahead and say all of it. He says, uh, I listened to both Nerds on History and Nerds on Film. I find I'm on the hunt for who shot Eric absolutely enthralling, and I have no clue who did it so far. I am enjoying Mystery March thus far, because we're doing Mystery March in the History Podcast. Also looking forward to the episode on tabletop gaming. Well, you're the second person who's brought that up, sir. So we're—it's definitely in the works.
2: All right, I was wrong on Glockenspiel. <sighs> Thank
0: you. Damn it. Might I also uh, suggest doing Glockenspon.
2: Epi-
0: <laughs> Can I finish reading this, please?
2: No. Get over
0: it. Might I also suggest doing an episode? Spaceship! And- <laughs> <laughs> Spaceship! <laughs> I burst right through your fucking words, Brian. You know, if you guys keep doing this, I'll never get to the part where he talks about nerds on film. Go on. Okay, we'll That's right. Might I also suggest doing an episode on druids or even Wicca itself? Or do you think that was covered by the one you did on witchcraft? Kind of, but we could explore that. Um, also, if you were looking to do a spinoff show about, um, how about uh, nerds on books? You have a great host for it in Sarah. Apologies if I spelled her name wrong. She is an English major, after all, and from what I hear on the podcast, she likes to read a little, a little of everything.
2: I do. Mm-hmm. Plus, I
0: figure all the nerds like to read a bit so of something, so who could pop in as co host and recommend the, and talk about stuff on a rotating basis.
2: You know, it's a really good idea. I would probably say that something like that would maybe have to be once a month because a book of the book of the month club. No. A book of the month club would be kind of fun. The problem, because the problem is, is I do work as yeah. well. I have a full time job, more than full time job outside of this, and Aww. on top of the movies and research we have to do for the podcast, it gets a little taxing. So, yeah. um, I actually haven't been able to complete a book in several months right now, and it's driving me crazy because <laughs> I've been too busy. <laughs> well, we have had a busy couple of months. But, it's been a little you nutter. Know, Book of the month thing. It sounds would be like fun. fun. It would be a lot of fun, actually. So um, I like the idea.
0: As for nerds on film, you guys have me constantly laughing out loud. <laughs> well, most times, I was listening more intently with episode seventy six with Ron Newcomb. I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I will definitely be checking out his fan film. And I like this idea, uh, the Rangers, and I think it would make a good book series. Sorry, you were dealing with a creative writing major in college, is what he said. Cool. Uh, I will usually come back to books and writing for for me most times, as it does for film uh, with most of you guys and girls. Keep up the good work on both podcasts and been listening since day one. Nice. And we'll be listening as long as you're putting them out. They are that good. Thank you, Christopher. That's always good to hear. Yeah. Um, we did We did get a little piece of feedback from Kevin. And we'll read it actually on Nerds in History because it's mostly focused on that. But he did have questions about where do you find our Amazon links? Because he wants to, to help us out by ordering a copy of Rise of the Fellowship and Casablanca. And you wouldn't feel right ordering without going through us.
2: That was very sweet.
0: Kevin, you can find them through our post for that episode. Uh, if you go to the the web page, the, the blog post for that uh, episode, you will see the affiliate links in. There's the... no
1: affiliate link for Amazon for that. It just goes to the Rise of the Fellowship website. I didn't put any banners to it on Amazon.
0: But the one for Casablanca is there, though. So okay. you can you can do it through there. Cool. Okay. Well, folks, if you'd like to keep this conversation going, uh, just or in general talk about film and nerdiness, um, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Brian Moriarty.
3: I'm
2: at Sarah Ash sixteen. I'm at Roxy Noberry.
0: And I am at Big Sean Mo
1: Sean spelled S E A N. And mine's R O X I N N O B A R I. Wait a second. I've been sending all these messages to the one with a Y. Oh, fuck. <laughs>
3: <Oops>. <laughs> <laughs> womp,
0: womp. Oh, no. Today, and nothing. Tomorrow, a lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> and until next time, stay nerdy and tune into us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com.
4: Bye. -bye.
0: Later. See ya. And roll credits. And now... Famous movie quotes, you should not say during sex.
4: Never lower your eyes to an enemy.